Hello, it's Shane here. Uh, this is not Sunday, <laughs> it is actually Wednesday. Uh, our recording didn't really work on Sunday, we've had a few technical issues. Uh, so today you get me, and I don't even have my microphone here, so you get a laptop recorded, <laughs> very lo-fi quality sound uh, on the level of a YouTube conspiracy theorist. So, you know, um, enjoy that, some of you may be familiar with that tone. Um, not entirely terrible that it didn't get recorded on Sunday because I had my kids there on Sunday and they decided that uh, they either wanted to fight me for the microphone or alternatively hand me uh, notes which said poop and different words on it, which while being very comical, um, you know, doesn't make any kind of coherent uh, talk very easy. It was baking Sunday on Sunday. Oh, I forgot to introduce my pronouns, uh, he and him. Um, it was also Baking Sunday on Sunday, which meant that we did a really short chat with not as much discussion, because we know that the FNCC snowball can get out of control uh, and take a long time. And while that's normally the best thing ever, because that's where I learn the most, uh, we actually just wanted to spend more time eating together. So I just did a little short homily on Sunday with a little bit of reflection. So... I'll do my best at having a crack at recreating that because at the core of it was an idea I've sat with for a bit and I'm actually, I actually really like and I'm actually really excited about um, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, but what you can work out whether it's useful to you as well. So I'll read the passage that we discussed on Sunday and then I'll give a kind of general outline of what I wanted to talk about. And it's something that, because it was only homily form and short, um, I didn't unpack it a lot. So... It might be something that I, you know, return back to at some stage to kind of dig a bit deeper into because I'd love to hear people's reflections and thoughts on it as well and see what the richness of our community's experience might have to add to this story. So we're going to read Matthew 9, verse 10 to 17 today. Um, and some of you will know it as the story where Jesus gets growled at her partying too hard. Um, so here we go. And as he sat... At dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. End quote. So we've discussed in the past, um, so I'm not going to get into it too much today because it's a uh, long rabbit hole. Uh, but that quote of, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Um, Jesus is placing himself on the side, on a particular side of, of an argument about um the sacrificial system and how it works and what God actually wants. Uh, and while he's not, I don't think, in this necessarily throwing out the sacrificial system for the nation of Israel, he is certainly um, pushing back against how it's being used uh, as a way in which it becomes this outward act um, that doesn't necessarily provide any kind of justice in terms of um, people using it to cover over the mistreatment of people uh, rather than as a mechanism for bringing their attention to how they deal with those on the underside of power. Um, 
But what I want to focus on today is just this thought that sat with me for ages um, and a kind of curious question. And I, like many of you, grew up kind of with the moralizing view of um, Scripture, where every passage uh, has a very clear and unambiguous uh, meaning to it. And while I do think the authors were often um, trying to take us on a narrative arc with a definite point um, and teach through what they were saying, uh, I have just loved the last you know, decade of my life where I've got to sit and ask um, questions of Scripture in the way that opens it up rather than closes it down. And it has uh, been really liberating and really encouraging and has allowed me to see views of God that were previously close to me, which I am really grateful for because otherwise I don't think I would still be in any relationship to this faith. Um, so I'm really grateful for that gift. And one of the questions that has sat with me with this is um, rather than a super hyper-simplistic view of the Pharisees who are often painted in a bad light, tutting at Jesus um, for hanging out with sinners uh, who he came to save, um, it's made me ask the questions about what these parties look like for Jesus and what his relationship to those people were. Um, it's obvious through reading other passages that this wasn't a one-off kind of showpiece, Jesus going out to do some evangelism and uh, showing everybody, you know, that he can stoop um, to hang out with naughty people so he can tell them what to do. But he actually had relationships with these people. They pop up in other places um, in the Gospels um, between his relationship with tax collectors and um, almost certainly with sex workers uh, and other people of um, on the margins of acceptable uh, culture and politeness. Um, that this wasn't a one-off event, that Jesus hung out with these people either regularly or from time to time. And the question I had for it is, what do they talk about at these dinner parties? If we can assume they weren't just for show, that Jesus actually enjoyed these people's company, that, you know, a dinner party, especially in ancient times, wasn't a quick 20-minute affair. Uh, it, you know... It took, it took time and was a social event and was and breaking bread was effectively saying that these people are in my company, they are my equals, they are, you know, accepted by me, which is why the Pharisees had such a huge problem with it. And I just think about Jesus in his um, life. He grew up kind of, you know, um, with temple observance and, um, you know, with a fairly pious family and... At the same time, there were elements of the story that might have pushed him to the margins a little bit. He was a carpenter from, you know, from um, Galilee. And so, you know, would have, in his time, potentially hung out with some rough people there. But just thinking about these dinner parties and the hours of conversation that they will have had. And I think my, you know, 13-year-old pious self would have thought that Jesus would have spent the entire time telling them how naughty they were and lecturing them. Um, but their affection for him and his relationship to him just seems to indicate that there was actually something else going on there. And I think about Jesus' other relationships. So these are people who are kind of excluded. Um, when, when it says sinners, and it's probably worth noting here that um, that is as much a social category as anything else um, in the 
um, I've got you know some commentaries from um, Jewish scholars who uh, very kindly comment comment on the New Testament um, because they are obviously immersed in a the Jewish world but also know a lot about um, Second Temple Judaism, which is the time that is being referred to here. Um, they very kindly commentate on the New Testament and give a Jewish perspective on it. And they um, in this uh, particular volume I was reading was you know they talk about. Uh, sinners as a social category, people who have been cut off from um, the welfare and support um, and social relationship with uh, the wider family structures um, that basically kept everyone alive in these days. Um, they are people who have become outcasts and who have been cut off. And so sinner isn't is tied to kind of what you do, um, but is much more tied to the fact that you are no longer associated with your kin, which is a thing of great shame. Um, great vulnerability as well uh, and basically you're cut off from lots of forms of social support and uh, I think about Jesus' other relationships in this stage of his life he has he is just at this point gathering disciples he's at the house of Levi a tax collector who is you know taken under his wing and called to follow him which is just a really radical move for lots of reasons he's having a party there but he is taking on these young disciples and trying to teach them the way of the upside-down kingdom and often is frustrated with them because, well, he's trying to teach them about the first shall be last and about servanthood and about, you know, inverting power structures. They're fighting and bickering about who gets to sit at his right hand and when they're going to overthrow the empire. And so, so he's kind of got this, like, mentoring slash friendship slash like you know like fairly intense relationship with them and then he's constantly running into these um teachers of religious law who he has a mixed relationship with um sometimes they are having conversations in a curious and positive light he obviously has a great affection for um you know, for um, religious teachings and for the, you know, the deep well of Jewish spirituality that he grew up in. But he's also at war with them all the time. Um, he's constantly fighting. Um, and and they are constantly trying, you know, in the kind of caricature that their gospel authors put them in, they're constantly trying to trap him and trick him. And, um, and some of them are even plotting to kill him. And so there's all of these kind of, you know, very public arguments uh and there's just a whole ton of conflict in that relationship where he's constantly being questioned and trying to, and people are trying to trap him. And on Sunday, I was just talking about the fact that at the moment I have just a lot of conflict in my life, um, a lot of it to do with um, the megachurch stuff, which I'm involved in at the moment, which many of you are aware of. But particularly in the last few weeks, I've spent time trying to reach out to people from my old world and convince them that something is deeply wrong um, in some of these systems and we, if we pay attention to it we'll see that actually systemic abuse is happening and we should pay attention to it because it is bad and it's kind of like bashing your head against a brick wall while there's gaslighting and minimization and deflection and whataboutism and all these things and you're trying to talk to people who also profess to be followers of Jesus and say hey maybe this isn't just a few hurt feelings and a few people who have been pushed too hard, but actually a big system where people's lives are getting destroyed um, and getting nowhere with them. And I think I'm just carrying the stress of that conflict with me a lot at the moment. Um, and it makes me look at this uh, Jesus story in a different light of just going, these tax collectors and 
you know, potentially sex workers and all these other people on the margins of society. Um, what if they're actually Jesus's safe space in a way? Um, not as only safe space, but a safe space, a space away from religious arguments and showboating um, and avoiding traps and trying to cut through oppressive systems and have fights with Pharisees about the ways in which they are using their power to burden already burdened people and not giving them enough love. His disciples who just sometimes just seem so pig-headed in their obsession to continue um, building their own little empires and him trying to teach them a different way. And then he gets to these parties, which no doubt <laughs> um, had less decorum, had a bunch of swearing and drunkenness, had, um, you know, less ears. And that Jesus, in some ways, in this place, maybe he's safe here on a different level. Maybe there are parts of himself that he doesn't have to hide in the same way. Maybe this is where he is learning. Um, obviously, he would have seen as a you know, living amongst a lot of poverty um, under the empire in Galilee, he would have seen what oppressive systems are doing to people and seen people on the underside of power. But maybe this is seeing the underside of a different kind of power, of the oppressive way social power is used in this world um, to marginalize people and cut them off. And, you know, like not painting tax collectors in too great a light because they are people who are collaborating with the Roman Empire. There's a reason they're hated. They're taxing people to their death and losing their land like there's a lot of very distasteful things about these people yet somehow jesus seems to have this sense of kinship um with them and it makes me think what if this is a place where jesus has a higher place of himself uh what if this is a place where jesus can learn about a different side of life in a way that would fuel his quest for justice and upside downness. What if this was a place, you know, he seems to think that these are a group of people that are so much more um, receptive of the upside down kingdom, that they potentially know their own fallibility in a way because they're already on the outside. They have to hide it. Oh, what's the point of hiding it? They've got no one to impress pretending to be pious, they know that they're scum. <laughs> uh, and in a way that opens them to the radical nature of the upside-down kingdom, where you might need to exist outside of social systems that have kept people, some people safe while marginalizing and exploiting others. Um, that they've already lost <laughs> a lot. And maybe that makes it easier for them to enter into something that is a third way um, to give something up to take the side of others who, who have been exploitive. Um, you see, exploited, you see in the story of Zacchaeus when he encounters Jesus that somehow over that dinner party conversation, despite everyone no doubt telling him that what he's been doing is wrong his entire life, there's something about his relationship with Jesus in that moment that makes him go, my gosh, I'm going to turn this all around and give back to um, those I've ripped off, ripped off to um, general, um, genuine reconciliation and um, genuine compensation as well. Uh, and also potentially for people there who are open to seeing the ways in which, you know, the system that has 
proposes that it keeps so many people safe and so many people healthy and so many people on the right side of the tracks that it actually um, exploits and cuts off other people as well. Uh, Jesus seems to think that these people are receptive to the kingdom in a way um, and it receptive to seeing that the good life um, or normal life that is so readily accepted by so many actually has a really dark side and they, they already know and see that. So maybe in his development of his understanding of the upside down kingdom, which would have come across his life through the experiences he's witnessed and the stories that he's heard, maybe these parties with these people of ill repute of these people who are on the margins of these people who are genuine, <laughs> you know, some of them are victims of a terrible system and some of them are very much participants and perpetuators of a form of it. Um, maybe this is where Jesus is seeing and learning and maybe this is in some ways a safe place where he can, where he can let his guard down, where he can hide less of himself. Uh, I think about our church community and this is a place you know, I've talked before about how churches and Christians make me anxious, but mostly just because I feel like there's so much of I, myself I have to hide um, because of my form of Christianity isn't acceptable to people they will tell me, which is fine, but you can't live with it all the time. And Fitzroyal has been a place for me where, you know, obviously it's a public space. So there's always parts of ourselves that it's safe to reveal and other parts that it's not. That's the nature of public spaces. But I hide less of myself here than in any other faith community I've been a part of. And that is a massive, massive gift to me. And hopefully for many of you, it's the same. Um, but it's also freed me and led me to more honest conversations about my life and my impact on others and how I carry myself. And so it's been a place of where I can actually have the vulnerability to be able to hear about the way my way of doing community and my way of being impacts people that I love and trust as well. And so maybe from this story, I don't want to narrow it down to a single point, but I guess my hope is that um, Fitzroy North in some ways, this community in some ways, there will be spaces within it and relationships within it and micro communities within it where we are able to be more kind um, and less curated. Uh, and more honest because we are held in love. Like I don't think that um, I buy like authenticity in the way that it means that, you know, all of us get to act however we want regardless of how it affects other people. Um, I think authenticity is always communal because it always involves feedback loops from people that we trust um, to help shape and curate us in ways that are life-giving and whole. And... I think that this is a place where, you know, like why did Zacchaeus in the Zacchaeus story um, reach that point of, you know, and was still in a quite a showy way to, you know, quote unquote, turn his life around, but, you know, commit to giving back to people he ripped off. Um, I mean, he would always have known that people hated him for participating in a taxation system that was unjust and essentially theft and oppression and grand indentured servitude of various kinds. Like, what was it about that party that allowed him to 
make that statement and have that realization. And maybe it was that he was held in profound love where the, his belovedness um, and his sense of trust for that community and for Jesus and that person um, that stood in front of him, that he could hear the pain of what his actions were doing in a new light, that he could um, receive that feedback um, in a way that didn't just put him on the defensive, but that actually he realized he was hurting people that he might care about and might care about him. I mean, this is all midrash, not exegesis. So, um, you know, take it, take it as such. But yeah, the, the possibilities of what these dinner parties and the relationship and um, community that existed at them, both for Jesus and for these outsiders, um, just really, really fascinates me. Um, so much more so than looking at it as some kind of, you know, beach mission where, you know, Jesus goes in as the clean cut um, guy, you know, amongst, you know, the frivolous holiday goers and tells them <laughs> how bad they are. That actually there was some, some, it was actually a mutually beneficial relationship where Jesus got to be himself and absent of a different kind of conflict in a way that was actually liberating life-giving for him um, but it was also transformative for the people that he partied with um, yeah and I just hope that in some ways Fitzroy North can be a place where that might be possible where there is kindness and honesty and less hiding um, but still accountability and community and all of those things I think that we need to help form us um, in a container of trust and goodness that we might become more like Jesus, one of a bit of an expression. Uh, yeah, so that's my ramble for this morning. Um, it was much longer than Sundays. I hope that in some ways that sparks some thoughts for you and resonates with you. Um, if you would like to send me some dialogue or feedback, I would love that. Um, We've talked before about how, you know, dialogue within chats at church is just awesome and lovely and, and so helpful and heartening. But often um, you do kind of curate a talk and get absolutely no feedback back and go, oh, well, I guess that was crap. <laughs> and even though you know that that's not true, um, that most people have actually thought about it. It is nice just to hear people's engagements with it, even, you know, even if it's pushback, I'm okay with it. Uh, yeah, take care, have a good week, eat some baking in honour of Sunday if you missed out. Uh, grace and peace to you all. Sorry about the crappy recording while I'm here.